0: Hey guys, welcome to a Back to Jerusalem live podcast. Uh, I am doing this while traveling. I am traveling right now inside of Sweden, but I'm really excited to do these Saturday morning podcasts. So I do everything that I can to make sure that we are able to connect together. Uh, We have been doing this for a while on YouTube. I've been thinking about doing this live on Facebook. I think that we have a lot more people that are, are engaging us on a regular basis, but we are so excited and happy for everybody that comes on and joins us from around the world, unlike Facebook. So if I do this Facebook Live, I'm able to see uh, people that are viewing this live and sometimes able to see uh, you know the different areas where they are. On YouTube, that's not the case. When we do this YouTube Live, I can see that people are watching, But I can't see where you're watching from. So you can feel free, write in the comments, let me know where you're listening from. That always makes us excited because we know that people are listening to the Back to Jerusalem podcast from around the world. Now, when I've been doing this in the past, I don't often have the camera on. This time I'm having the camera on just because I would like to be able to speak directly to the audience as I give an update about what is happening in Beirut with the Back to Jerusalem aid. Now, many of you that are listening to this are probably listening to the podcast that you downloaded live or downloaded off our website and are probably not watching this live. So if you have downloaded this from our Back to Jerusalem website, just know every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can go to to backtojerusalem.com forward slash live. BackToJerusalem.com forward slash live There you will find our Back to Jerusalem podcast I see that we're getting more people that are jumping on and joining us for the podcast live Feel free to write in, let us know where you're listening from And also know that you can call us as well We would love to hear from you, we would love to chat together with you Uh, We have one person, hey from Brazil, so glad that you guys are listening from Brazil. I We have just started to work with our partners there to put the Back to Jerusalem website in the Portuguese language. Uh, the last time that we had a tour there together with Brother Yun was super exciting because we had so many uh, supporters and partners, prayer partners from all over the nation that came into the meetings. And those meetings were exciting. And I felt that there's something happening here in Brazil. And it wasn't just because we have our friends coming in Brazil and and joining us, but because it seems that on the mission field, I'm seeing more and more people from Brazil. Brazil is starting to send out more and more missionaries. And that to me is exciting. Um, our, my good friend, Tim from uh, Poland, he is just signed on. Hello, brother. Great to see you on here. Thanks for joining us again. And, um, uh, for those of you that are downloading this podcast from our website, again, you can, uh, watch us live every Saturday at back to forward slash live. That's where you'll be able to find us. And at any time you can call in. We would love to hear from you. Um, our number is one seven zero three three four eight seven seven five six. And uh, if you have any questions, if you have concerns, if you have complaints, we love to hear from you. Even if you don't agree, um, I we have not. Pa- I don't think we have posted the podcast yet. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look. But when we started Ding Dash. There was a brother uh, from South Africa, great guy, but he felt that our um, Ding Dash website was not good because it targeted only Christians and Christians should be out there in the world and sharing the gospel. So he didn't really understand the reason why we started Ding Dash, but we started dingdash.com for those believers that are living in closed countries that do not have access to regular social media. So, for instance, if I travel to Saudi Arabia, if I travel to uh, China, if I travel to Iran, I can't sign on to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I, I, I have, unless I have a VPN, I, I'm not able to get access to those social media sites, which means that I am completely isolated from a lot of Christians that put materials and messages, especially during this time, right during the coronavirus. People really rely on connecting with one another through the internet. And that's why we developed DingDash.com. But DingDash has been evolving not just for those that are living in in enclosed countries, But many Christians are finding, you know what, I I don't like the way that social media like Instagram or Twitter or YouTube or Facebook are cutting out a lot of voices from the Christian perspective. I don't like the fact that my information is being sold by these huge corporations. I don't like the fact that These companies can share my information with governments. Uh, just got another greetings from Moravian Falls. I love you guys in uh, Moravian Falls. I mean, I just saw a video uh, of um, my good buddy, George Perot. If you're listening to this, George, thank you so much. Big shout out to you uh, for advertising our Back to Jerusalem smugglers hat. If you haven't seen this before, we just came out with this, and we now have it on our website. It is a we call it a smuggler's hat, but it's got two, it's got secret pockets here in the side on the inside of it, so you can put in your ID card, your credit cards, or whatever. So let's say you're going out for a run, a jog. Um, you're maybe wearing swim swimming uh, clothing, and you're, you don't have pockets for you know carrying uh, your money or your ID or your uh, room card from your hotel or whatever. Well, that's where the back to Jerusalem smugglers hack comes into play. So, and we got a an, another person joining us from Pennsylvania. So, thank you for joining us from Pennsylvania. We're we're really excited. Um, right now, we do not have this podcast live streaming on Ding Dash. We are working on that. But that is something that if anybody listening to this podcast is like, hey, that's, that's what I do, we would love to have uh, you contact us. We need volunteers. We need individuals that are willing to join together with Back to Jerusalem and help us develop Dingdash. Here's one of the big things that makes Dingdash different than all of the other social media sites out there, it, beside the fact that it was started by Christians. This beside the fact that it was started for uh, persecuted Christians, one of the things that makes DingDash extremely special is that it's all developed by volunteers. What that means is that we're not trying to we're trying to raise money, we're not we're not using the website or selling uh, advertising space to companies. We're not taking your information and selling it so that other companies can use your data to market you. We're not taking your information and sharing it with governments. We don't need to. Everything is uh, owned and operated on Dingdash. Everything is owned and operated by Back to Jerusalem. So you can be 100% certain that we are not going to share your information, store your information, or sell your information. That is our main focus on DingDash. But every feature that we add, everything that we do, takes volunteers. So if you are someone that is volunteering, or let's say that you work for an um, a, a, a IT company, let's say that you know how to write code, uh, if you have that, we would love to have you come and join us in the ministry. We definitely, definitely need your help. So, uh, Ding Dash is something that we want to be able to have a platform for streaming in the future. We're not there yet, but think about this. Think of, if if you sign on to Ding Dash and you're like, I like it, but it's so much different than than Facebook. It it may not be as user friendly, or I don't know. Just give it time. Give it time because we're getting better with it every day. Now, one of the hardest challenges about switching over from Facebook to DingDash is that you're not going to have a lot of your friends. You're not going to have a lot of your family members on there yet, but we're getting people signing up right now. We have a new sign up for about one every hour, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot for us. And that makes us super excited because this is independence. This is breaking away from a corporation that is trying to stifle free speech, a corporation that's trying to close in and force feed you with propaganda. So DingDash is serving a major purpose. If you look at Facebook, Facebook alone has over 48,000 full-time employees. (laughs) 48,000 full-time employees. We have a couple volunteers on DingDash. So praise God that we've been able to do as much as we have. That is where I'm giving the most uh, updates for our efforts in Lebanon. So if you've been supporting our efforts in Lebanon, thank you so much. Uh, We have already sent funding to Lebanon. We've already sent more funding than what we've received. And the, the, the reason why we've been able to do that, we sent money right away to those that were hit in Beirut. And the reason we were able to do that is because we have so many gatekeepers. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are watching us live and you are a gatekeeper, we want to say thank you. You are one of the main reasons why we are able to do what we feel that God has called us to do. If you're not familiar with Gatekeepers, Gatekeepers is a group of people that partners with us every single month. They're prayer partners, they believe in the vision, and they want to see the completion of the Great Commission, not just in words. Now, we're not very good at doing amazing broadcasts, i.e. this. This is basically me sitting down with my phone, uh, very simple earphones that I use when I'm traveling around. We don't spend any money. No money is spent on our production. And you can tell, right? It's not. It's not a big secret. If you look at um, our live Facebook feeds, if you look at our li- like what I'm doing right now, or if you listen to our podcast, all of our podcasts that you listen to is basically being recorded on my broken Samsung phone. Uh, it is. A, I mean, it's an it's an older version, but. Most people listen because of the content. The thing is is that we don't spend any of the funding on production. We don't spend any of the funding to get this information out there. We spend as much as we can on the ground to complete the Great Commission. And we want to thank all of the people from around the world that come on and join us as Gatekeepers. We want to let you know that a lot of the things that we do are done because of your support. Um, I just saw somebody write in, uh, Jay Rinder. Jay Rinder, let us know where you're writing in from. Hey, uh, we are happy to see you, happy that you have signed on to join us for this Saturday morning podcast, live podcast. Also, feel free to call us. I'm just going to put this in the the comment, comment box. So for those of you that are following us live, you can look over in the comment box and you'll see that our number is 1-703-348-7756 one 348 7756 now that is the number that you can call if you want to call in and and talk with us we would love to hear from you now i want to give you a brief update on what has been taking place in beirut for our beirut aid um jay Rinder. Thank you so much. Where where are you writing in from? It's great that you are listening. I'm super excited to see you on there. And uh, we got someone else from Portugal. Hey, uh, Pedro from Portugal. So glad that you have decided to join us. And uh, and it looks like Jay Render is from Texas. So, writing in from Texas, uh, one of the things that I love about the Back to Jerusalem podcast is that we're reaching people from all around the world. Um, I, we usually get somebody on here that's often writing or listening to us live from Israel, and I want to I want to just give a big shout out because last week, <laughs> this is pretty big for us. Last week, we just reached number one for Christian podcast download on itunes so number one christian podcast on itunes in israel that's a big deal for us we're a really small group we definitely are punching above our weight on that one. So uh, thank you guys for listening to us and downloading this podcast from Israel. But just from today, for people that are listening live and joining us live, it is pretty exciting to know that we have people already from all around the world. Just those that have signed on and said hello, we got you from Texas. Uh, we got you from Pennsylvania. We got you from uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, from Brazil, from Portugal. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. So, as a as an update, uh, guys, just know this. Right now, uh, Beirut is in a lot of pain. Beirut needs your prayers. Um, this is A location that was actually hurting long before the explosion so if you've been watching the news at all you'll know exactly what i'm talking about if you if you're not uh if you're if you're if you've been living in a cave and you haven't heard about what's taking place inside of beirut i want to just give you a quick update hey jake from canada thanks for thanks for joining us we have so many of our Canuck friends that have been signing on from canada Uh, Our office in Canada continues to see a lot of growth with Back to Jerusalem. We were hoping, hoping and praying that we could do our Back to Jerusalem tour in Canada for October of this year. I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. I wish it would. We would love to get to uh, Canada. We already had to cancel our tour for March. We were hoping that we could do our tour in Canada for October, uh, but it's it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, what we are looking at now, possibly, is doing a live broadcast together with Uncle Tong and Brother Yun. Uh, Uncle Tong is the translator for Brother Yun. If you've ever seen him uh, speak live, and we're hoping that we can get the two of them and do a live broadcast for the churches that had invited Brother Yun to come. So we love our friends in Canada. We're excited about our new office in Canada. And we are so thankful for all of our friends that have decided to join us to complete this Great Commission. So just let me just share this. We have been working in Lebanon for the last uh, more than 10 years. I don't know exactly what year it was that we, I would have to go back and look at my notes and I'm not traveling with my notes at the moment. Um, I'm in in a special situation when it comes to a lot of notes that I have from the history of our projects because I have not been able to go to our office in China since January. So when I left China, I left China for two weeks to go to the United States to have our ambassadors meeting and to, to host our hackers conference. But um, when we had our hackers conference, I decided to bring my family here to Sweden, where we have been since February. So unfortunately, I, have, I don't have the notes of the first time when we first went into Lebanon and and have been doing our projects there in Lebanon for a while. But I can tell you this, when we first moved into Lebanon, we started off running a business. Now, I can't give many details, and the reason I can't give many details is that the situation in Lebanon with our Back to Jerusalem missionary team would be very easy to identify if I give away too much information. So I've, I've got people that are closely monitoring our uh, media They're closely monitoring our newsletters. They're constantly monitoring our updates on our website. And they're, they're trying to look for information to find our Back to Jerusalem missionaries. So we're almost in a situation where we have to do a little bit of counterintelligence. Uh, We have to be very, very careful about the information that we share because we don't want to jeopardize the safety of the Back to Jerusalem missionaries that are living, working, and serving in Lebanon. And because of that, I have to be very careful about telling you how we first got there, what we've been doing since the beginning of our projects inside of Lebanon, and what the Chinese were doing prior to uh, this explosion that took place last week in Beirut. So when we first traveled into Lebanon, what I can tell you is this. uh, Lebanon was not a focus. Okay, when people ask me, is Lebanon a focus of back to Jerusalem? Uh, Do you have teams in Lebanon? As soon as the explosion took place in Beirut, people started to write to me from around the world asking, do you have teams in Lebanon? Or do you have teams in Beirut? I could not, I had to be very careful about how I answered that. The reason is because I did not want to give away too much information about our, our teams there. We work in places like North Korea. We work in places like Iran. We work in places where it's very easy to identify what we are doing. One of the places where we have a little bit more freedom is Lebanon. Um, but because of the nature of our work in Lebanon, it would be very easy if I share too much information for individuals to take that information and quickly identify the Back to Jerusalem teams in Lebanon. What I can tell you is this. When we started, which I think was about 10 years ago, around around that time frame, we started a business. And when we started this business, uh, we realized that there was a need for a humanitarian effort using this business. So we started already working with the people in Lebanon, doing humanitarian work and serving in a humanitarian way. At the end of last year, beginning of this year, um, I started getting information from the teams in Lebanon that things are hurting. And I mean, we've been getting that from everywhere, right? I mean, where is where where are people not feeling the pain of this dilemma, this pandemic that is hitting everywhere across the world? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're in China. It doesn't matter whether you're in Lebanon. doesn't matter whether you are in Iran, Sweden, England, America, Canada. Everybody is feeling the pain from the coronavirus. I mean, businesses that were hurting already, are probably they probably already shut their doors because they've they, they haven't been able to keep business going under the current conditions in a lot of nations and a lot of nations that have gone on complete lockdown which I'm not in one of those nations and I thank God for that I'm actually in Sweden right now and one of the reasons I chose to be in Sweden is because Sweden had some of the the most agreeable laws according to my understanding of what was taking place. So here we don't have to wear a mask. I have not really been convinced that I need a mask. You might, you might be one of those people that are convinced that we need a mask. Um, I did a podcast last week with a good friend of mine from Southern California. She's a mother. She's a believer, really hardcore Christian. She believes that all Christians should wear masks. It's It's a part of our religious duty. I did the podcast together with her because I didn't agree with her. But believe it or not, you can still disagree and both be Christians, Uh, we live in a cancel culture right now where so many people want to cancel out your voice if you don't say what they agree. And it's very difficult to meet some of the purity tests that are being imposed on believers across the spectrum. You have to meet all of these different purity tests. And if and if you don't do exactly as certain people think that you should, then you're considered to not you're no longer considered to be a Christian. Well, I believe for me, okay, not everybody's going to agree with this, but I don't really see a need for masks. I've been taking my cues from the main doctors here in Sweden as well as in Scandinavia, in Northern Europe, and most studies have shown that they just they don't do anything. And you can point, I know that you can point to a million studies that prove the opposite, right? You can show that masks do do something. And you might be one of those people that say, you know what? I don't think that masks do anything, but I wear it for the comfort of others. I wear it for the safety of others. Good on you. That's, that's great. For me personally, um, I think masks just don't work. So I, for, not, not during in this pandemic, not in this situation, and you might disagree with that, and I might change one day. Okay, but right now I'm happy. To be in a country where I don't need masks I'm happy to be in a country where my wife and I and my family are still able to go to church I'm happy to be in a country where businesses have not been closed down the tourist areas have not been closed down the restaurants the shops the stores have not been closed down that's been uh, that, that has allowed me to be able to live my life at least the way that I would like to right now in this pandemic the way that We feel the most comfortable And uh, We really have been praying For the leaders of Sweden As well as the leaders from other nations Around the world as well And so that has been one of the things That uh, brought us here to this location where we're at right now. But not everybody agrees with that. That's why I brought on my good friend from Southern California who said, no, absolutely not, you have to wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you should not be allowed to go outside. And it was great to have her on, it was great to have that debate, but right now we're, we're shutting out voices that we don't agree with. And I don't believe that is safe for anyone. Uh, I don't believe it's healthy for a Christian life to shut out voices that you don't agree with, that's another reason why we started Ding Dash. We don't agree with these big corporations that are shutting out voices. By the way, we're one of those voices that are being shut down. Back to Jerusalem is one of those voices that is being shut down by social media giants. Now, I've shared about this before, but for those of you that don't know, uh, we tried to do a campaign last year to raise money for Iraq. This exact time last year to raise money for Iraq. We have uh, one of our Back to Jerusalem volunteers out of the Netherlands works for a a marketing company that does social media marketing. They're very, very good at it. So we handed over our account information for this company to do some free promo uh, things to raise money for Iraq. And what we found... What we found was that um, Facebook would not allow us to do any advertising. Now, we can do personal advertising, but not through this company. This company said, listen, Eugene, I've never seen this before. They told me, we've never seen this before. In all the years that we've been doing online marketing, we've never once been stopped. And so basically, they said, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. They contacted Facebook Many times We even had individuals that came To one of the meetings where I spoke At a Ivy League College gathering of people from Harvard, Princeton uh, Brown, we had a big Meeting in New Jersey last year I was a, a speaker Together with a other ministry Leader named Heidi Baker So me and Heidi together Did a closed door meeting In New Jersey for Christians That attend these universities And in one of the meetings, we had an amazing young lady who works for Facebook come out and said, hey, I work inside of Facebook. Let me find out if I can get anything through for you guys. And it was still, there was nothing we could do. We were not able to bring the ball one yard closer to the goal line. Uh, We were still, I I believe, we're being shadow banned. Uh, We have not grown at all for, I think, the last year. I think we've been stuck at 35,000 followers. Now, we could probably pay Facebook more money to get more followers, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, We stopped doing that a while ago. So we still use Facebook, but we're not putting any resources into Facebook. We're not putting any money into Facebook. And we have experienced what it's like to be directly shadow banned and closed down by Facebook. And we don't agree with that. We believe that the way to overcome... Evil speech. We believe the way to overcome fake speech. We believe the way to overcome hate speech is not to regulate speech, but to open it up to more speech. More speech allows the overcoming of bad speech. That's why. That's why I believe the enemy, above all over other things, the enemy wants to shut down free speech wherever we see the enemy is in control you cannot share the gospel you cannot share the gospel you can't share the light it doesn't matter whether you're in a buddhist country and if you look at our book that we just put out called leaving buddha leaving buddha shares directly from a buddhist country into Th- or the area of tibet as well as nepal as well as india try to share the good news from In an area that controls free speech, by the way, we just got another shout out from St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you so much for doing a shout out from St. Louis. It's another location that, again, I love being with you guys in St. Louis. Um, I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad, (laughs) but... Um, just outside of uh, St. Louis is a is a, the, the main office for Joyce Meyer, and they have been a great partner of ours for many years. So I'm usually there in Fenton, Missouri, um, at least once or twice a year to meet with their team at their headquarters. They've been a big sponsor of Back to Jerusalem for many years. We carry out all of their projects inside of China as well as North Korea, and we've carried out several of their projects in other countries as well, like Iran. Um, there's a lot of people that mean not like them, but I am uh, just so moved and touched by their friendship and their partnership. So I want to, I just want to let you guys know that um, all of our prayer partners in St. Louis, Missouri, thank you guys so much for your partnering and sharing. Thank you for letting us know that you're listening to us live from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, But one of the things that I notice is that when it comes to freedom of speech, where, think about this for a second. Where are the only countries in the world that allow free speech? The only countries in the world that allow free speech are the countries that have been influenced by Christianity. And you might point to places like Japan. Uh, you might find places that are not Christian. And say, well, these places aren't Christian. They allow free speech. Yes, but they have been influenced by Christian worldviews. One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that we can allow freedom of speech. God allowed it. God allowed Job himself to stand before him and question him. God did not force Job. God didn't force anybody to follow after him. He allowed them free choice. He allowed them to freely love him or freely reject him. One of the things that we see in countries that are run by spirits, run by the enemy, whether it's Islam, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's atheism, in all of those settings, the very first thing that the enemy does, the very first thing, As they shut down free speech. Do you remember Chaz? For those of you that are not familiar with Chaz, Chaz is the Capitol Hill autonomous zone that the protesters in the United States that are pro-Marxists wanted to set up. So many of these Marxist groups went and set up this autonomous zone in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon. And the very first thing that you see that they did was shut down free speech. Journalists were not allowed to report unless, and they were told, I mean, this is on video, that journalists were told, if you do not report what we like and you don't report us in a favorable light, we're going to carry out street justice on you. There is a preacher that goes out onto the streets and Chaz in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone tries to share the gospel. He gets a beat down. He gets thrown out in about five seconds. Borders went up, armed guards went up, ID start being checked. They have these uh, mafia groups that run around running the place like warlords. Free speech is out the window, racism is endorsed. These are all the elements of what we see in every nation and setting where the enemy begins to take control. A lot of people will try to tell you that more education will equal more understanding, more freedom, more freedom of speech, more intellectual kind of engagement, and it's all crap. It's absolute bollocks. Because the only time that we see real freedom for humans, the only time that we see real justice The only time that we see real openness is when Christians bring freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty. And that's what brings me to the pain of talking about what happened in Beirut. Because when people ask me, Are you working in Lebanon? The reason why it took me this circle before I said, yes, we are, is because Lebanon should not be a focused country for us. Yes, we're called back to Jerusalem. Yes, we focus on the 1040 window. Yeah, I mean, that's why I have this symbol on the hat. For those of you that are listening to this podcast, not watching this podcast, I'm pointing at the logo on the back to Jerusalem hat. This logo is uh, the word that we have in Chinese called hui, to return. What you have is this outer square right? For those of you that can see the logo There's this outer square That square means a wall A border uh, Like the border for a country Like the border for a garden This wall in the Chinese characters If you put a, a, like a different symbol in the middle That would be a king in a country Or a kingdom um, This wall is, is like the We compare to the wall of Jerusalem This inner square, uh, which is also a Chinese character, which means mouth or gate, uh, we believe helps us focus on the eastern gate, where the Messiah will return again to the wall of Jerusalem. This Chinese character, which means to return, or hui gui ye lu salang, which is the Chinese word for returning to Jerusalem. So all of the nations that are in that area between China and Jerusalem are our focus. This is the area that we are focused on and where we want to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. So why do I say that Lebanon is not one of the countries that I feel that we should have been? We are, but I feel that it's a nation that should have already been one. It's a nation that should have already been evangelized. It's a nation that should have already been exposed. Our main focus for this returning back to Jerusalem is to focus on the areas that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ even one time. Lebanon. If you know the history of it, it was an area that was run by the Ottoman Empire for years. It is kind of this last bastion, this last holdout of Christians, mainly made up of the, a, a one group of Christians that is very closely related to the Syrians. Um, there's a group that is following after the Moroni, this, this um, group uh, that follows a, uh, a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Syrianic Church uh, That was a missionary or a, um, a monk in Syria And a lot of the Christians that were persecuted under the Ottoman Empire went into that area. And after the Ottoman Empire fell, after World War I, the French came in and kind of started to control this area and began to help build up and give freedom to those Christians. After World War II, this area gained independence. And it was one of the areas that was kind of drawn out by the French to be a region free for Christians. so it was a country that was a majority of Christians And so it was kind of implied in the Constitution that the, the, the president the the prime minister would always be a Christian and uh, from a from a certain group of Christians from the nation. The problem, However, is that as all the other Muslim nations around this one tiny slither, if you look at Lebanon, Lebanon's this little bitty beach carve-out just on the northern border of Israel. It's a small little country, uh, I think smaller than the state of New Jersey. And not a very large population, but their population being run by Christians started to boom right away. I mean, they had the best schools, they had the best universities, they had the best economy, they had the best science, they had uh, freedom galore. People were just flocking to Beirut. Beirut was considered to be the Paris of um, the Middle East. It was a vacation spot. People started going there, really. It was Dubai before there was a Dubai. And it also became well-known for their banking. And so you had all of these uh, investors going into Lebanon and the 1960s after world war one and investing their money there because it was a safe place and the christians were able to bring about freedom of speech freedom of thought freedom of religion it was one of the few countries in the world and still might be one of the few countries in the world that has christians and muslims living and working together side by side they were uh, allowed to have um uh, both Holidays, so they had Christian holidays besides Muslim holidays. It was a it was a great setup. Not everything was perfect. I don't want to paint just a rosy peachy picture of Lebanon, but it was a lot lot better than what it is today. So what happened was the this Christian country, Lebanon, the only one in the Middle East, by the way. It was the this little bitty blip on a screen, like the size. If you look at the map of the middle east you got this massive geographical land and all of these people the majority of the population overwhelmingly muslim and just this little bitty area cut off for christians this little bitty christian this little bitty christian area about the size of the little bitty jewish area it's not very big very very small But when the refugees that were running from war, looking for economic opportunity, wanted to escape danger, wanting to get out of war zones, wanting to get out of oppressive areas, wanting to get away from tyrants, wanting to get into an area where they could have freedom for their economy, for their family, wanting to get into an area where they could preach the gospel or listen to the gospel if they wanted to freely, if they wanted to go into an area where they could express themselves freely, they had to go to Lebanon. They couldn't get that in any of the Muslim nations. So they had to go, to, they had to, go to, to, to Lebanon. So the refugees went to Lebanon. And when they got to Lebanon, and there were other countries that were developing like that quite as well. I mean, we started seeing the same in Afghanistan. It started to develop in the 1960s. We started to see the same in Iran before the fall of Shah to the Ayatollah. But what we saw in Lebanon was beautiful. It was a success story. But then the refugees started to pour in. And where were the refugees coming from? Muslim nations. War-torn areas. Many of the refugees were Palestinian. Coming in from the Syrian and... um, Egyptian and Iraqi uh, Fights when they were uh, Attacking Israel when Israel was fighting For its independence a lot of the Palestine a lot of the Palestinians That were fleeing they went from Northern Israel into southern Lebanon And You're talking about I think today it's something like Half a million refugees still live in Lebanon they live in refugee Camps a, a lot of the focus when it comes To the refugees right the Palestinian Refugees all of the focus Is where All of the focus is on Israel, and Israel looks like a bad guy. Now, I know a lot of you are like, okay, just get to the updates. I don't want to hear all of this historical background. Eugene, you share way too much history. The reason why I can't tell you what's happening until you understand at least a little bit of Lebanon is because it doesn't make sense. If I just start throwing out information, you might have questions like, why is it this way? Why is it that way? Why is it this way? I want to tell you why it is the way it is. One of the things that you don't hear is that the when the Palestinians fled into Syria, when the Palestinians fled into Jordan, when the Palestinians fled into Lebanon, they weren't given citizenship, they still aren't given citizenship. They're not given land, they're not given freedoms, they're not given equality. You, you, can't, you can't be given a, an ID card, a passport, citizenship. You can't vote in Lebanon. You can't even take office in Lebanon or hold any position of power if you're Palestinian. So the, is, the Israeli Jewish nation of Israel does pretty good in that way. But the Muslims started coming in and said, hey, the government doesn't rightly represent us. We are the majority. We need to be ruling over the Christians, not the Christians over the Muslims. Because as the refugees came in, the balance began to shift. And it went from being a majority Christian nation to a majority Muslim nation overnight. And the Muslims didn't want to give the freedom to the Christians that the Christians had been given prior to the refugees arriving. Now, this is a simplistic look. And there's a lot of information and details that I'm missing here. On purpose to be able to give you a quick down and dirty look at this. And that started a civil war in the 1970s. And it didn't end until 1990. So there was this civil war. I know a little bit about civil war because I'm a former U.S. Marine, right? We saw the embassy, or I'm sorry, the, the Marine barracks that was bombed there in 1983, right? It was uh, the embassy in Beirut was just Bombed. And so what we see right now in Lebanon is a, a really bad situation where Muslims are in charge and now we have a majority of people groups in Lebanon that have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ even one time. Because they live in areas where freedom of speech is not allowed. Freely sharing the gospel is not allowed. So, I said that to say this. I wish Lebanon was not one of our target nations for Back to Jerusalem. I wish Lebanon was a nation that we could say, it's already Christian. It's an area that we know that everybody there has heard the gospel at least once. Now we can go and focus our sights on the regions that have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ so that we can fulfill the, the, the message of Matthew 24, 14. But that's not the case. Unfortunately, Lebanon is a nation that we desperately need to reach. And Lebanon's been in a bad situation. Our friends have been writing to us and telling us, hey, people are starving here. The situation's dire. So, that takes us to where we're at now. There's been a lot of attention focused on Lebanon because of the big explosion that took place a few days ago in Beirut. What happened was an explosion that brought the country to a critical level and urgent help is needed. This is something that um, we have been focused on helping since about 40 hours after the explosion. There's a lot of people that have been uh, that were writing to me saying, hey what are we doing to help the, the individuals in, in Beirut that have been hit by the explosion My response was we're on standby. We're trying to decipher the information. We're learning as information is coming in. We don't want to jump to conclusions. We want to be able to see what's actually happening before we dive in and start to provide help because our idea of help in the first hour may not be what's necessarily understood to be needed after 40 hours. So what we see on Uh, What we have heard from our friends after that 40 hours is that, yeah, there is help needed in this region. We need to be able to provide food, cooking items, just emergency items that you would need during really any disaster. Uh, By the way, just got a note in from a brother by the name of Jonathan Newman. He said, please pray for my wife to be saved by Jesus. Jonathan, we are praying together with you. Thanks for sending that over to us for this prayer request. I'll send that on to our Chinese teams. We'll make sure that inside of China with the underground house churches, we will also be making note of that prayer and praying for you. But just to give you an update on the situation right now in Beirut, Uh, The latest that I heard is about 157 people have been found dead in Beirut. More than 5,000 have been injured. Hundreds are missing. So expect that number to continue to climb. Dogs have been brought in by teams to be able to help search through the rubble to find those that are trapped underneath. Beirut's city governor came out the other day. He said that about 300,000 people Have lost their lives or lost their homes, lost their livelihood. Um, He fought back tears when he was on camera crying, uh, begging people to stand together with him because people don't have food, they don't have water, they don't have shelter. It was a massive explosion. It was felt about 150 miles away. As far as in Eastern Europe, people felt the shaking um, all the way in Cyprus, all throughout the country, even in northern Israel. Houses were being shaken, sh- shook, windows shook. Um, some windows even exploded. Um, now, <clears throat> people ask me, um, and and we've even heard people saying that. Do you think that this was a missile attack? Do you think that this was a planned explosion? This looks like it was coordinated with other explosions that took place in North Korea, Iraq, Syria, other places around the world. Do you think that this was planned? Do you think that this had to do with the Mossad? Do you think that this had to do with an attack? Do you think that this was a missile attack? Let me tell you what I think. Now, know this. I am not... An expert when it comes to explosives. But I do know a few things. I was trained in the military with explosives, both with homemade explosives. I did call for fire for explosive, for long-range long, uh, f- long range fire, uh, b- both from ship to shore, from air to shore, uh, from shore to shore. I did uh, call for fire and, and, and learned many different things about military explosives. I worked a lot with c 4 Um, especially when I was on both of my tours of duty in the Persian Gulf, I used a lot of C4, was trained, uh, with C4 in my special operations group. Uh, I also used, um, in, in my small team, we only had about 10 people in my sniper platoon. Um, everybody had to have their own kind of focus. My two focuses that I trained our platoon members on was, uh, hand-to-hand combat and homemade explosives. So I did I was trained in homemade explosives. So I do have some background in homemade explosives and I can tell you this from what I have seen from all of the markers that I have looked at and all of the markers that I have seen are basically what's out there in the in the stratosphere, right? Anything that you have access I probably have access to everything that I have access to you have access to. I have no secret information I have no back door I have no guy on the ground. I have people on the ground telling me information but no, no inside CIA agent. I have no Mossad agent telling me you know what's you know basically taking place but I believe that the official story at least at this point that I'm sharing with you, I believe that the official story of the explosion of ammonium nitrate that is used for both fertilizer as well as an explosive exploding to be legitimate. I, be- I believe that to be true. Uh, the reason why is because there was a guy by the name of Messen Mefta. He was one of the guys that was on the ground, his Lebanese. He was filming the fires as they were taking place on the ground at the port. And if you look at those videos, and I watched a couple of videos at the time, that everything looked consistent with a, an explosion that happens from ammonium nitrate. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that are looking at the the videos and saying, you know, hey, look. This looks like a missile came in. Um, The president himself is asking for intel agencies around the world to give them satellite footage from the time of the explosion to see if there was any drones or any aircraft in the air over Beirut during the time of the explosion. Because I think that the government of Beirut is desperately wanting to move the ball away from their sphere of activity. of of responsibility, Um, I think because this is an embarrassing event that took place under the current watch. It's already a mismanaged government, right? It's already the, 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 the problem with the government is really bad. Let me tell you why I believe the official story. The official story goes like this, that there was a ship, a Maldovan ship, that was called the Rosas in 2013, that was traveling from Georgia to Mozambique, and they were loaded to the gills with ammonium nitrate. They also had weapon systems on board, as far as I understand, and their load was so big, so large, that it was damaging the sea the, uh, the uh, structure. So the, the ability of that structure to be seaworthy was being compromised because of the size of the load. And the information that I'm sharing with you, everybody has access to. You can go to, it's called shiparrested.com. Shiparrested.com is a website that you can get information from uh, that has to do when ships have um, disputes with uh, port authorities. You can find it there. Uh, these are ship-related legal cases. There was a guy by the name of Boris Bakasha. I watched him in an interview. They just did an interview with him this week. He lives in Sochi, Russia. He was the captain of the Rosas in 2013. And from what I understand, he was taking this shipment, this cargo of, of ammonium nitrate from Georgia to Mozambique. Right. And because of the compromised seaworthiness of his craft, he had to pull in and make an emergency stop in Beirut because he, he, he was having problems with his ship. Now, there's a lot of people that said, well, he had weapons. He was trying to get those to um, the Hamas inside of uh, Lebanon. Could be. I don't know. I have no. But I can tell you this. He had a lot of ammonium nitrate on that ship. And what happened is that that ammonium nitrate was not legally supposed to be in Beirut. And anybody, I've been through this so many times, anybody who's ever dealt with customs agents in the Middle East know that it is a nightmare full of bribes and bureaucracy. Nothing ever gets done. It is a living nightmare. I would rather pull out my eyeball with a spoon than go through some of the bureaucracy that I've experienced in my lifetime in the Middle East when trying to bring goods through customs. In fact, the captain of the ship is said to have gotten so aggravated that he walked away from the whole payload and the ship and said, you know what, forget it take it it's you're wanting so much money you're wanting so much time you wanted so much effort that's it's no it's it's no i would rather walk away and and lose all of the money that i currently have invested in this shipment than continue working with you guys i can totally see myself doing that absolutely and so that happened in december of 2013 the ammonium nitrate was offloaded from the ship and put into the storage house on port. And several times the port authority called to the judicial branch trying to get that fertilizer even either given out to the military or to farmers for free or to sell it. Either way, it needed to get out of the port. And every time, according to the official documents, their um, claims to the judicial group was were denied or were ignored rather. So, August fourth, a fire broke out in a warehouse next to the grain elevator on the port area there in Beirut. Now, the warehouse where the fire broke out is right there where the ammonium nitrate is being stored. Now, I, I you have to listen. To This part for you to fully understand if you look at the videos click on the videos where there's one that's taken from the ground That was the first one that was released You can sit and look at that on the ground and you can see flashes of light going off in the smoke, right? Well, the people that were there said that that was from fireworks that there was a large uh, storage of fireworks that were also caught by customs and taken off of ship and stored there on port, And so when this fire broke out next to a grain elevator and everything in that area was flammable, began to catch on fire, then these fireworks then caught on fire, which is then the brewing of the perfect storm where fireworks are shooting off. You can see them in the smoke. Uh, There's one, like I said, from the ground that is is shot by this... um, uh, there there's this guy that he on his account, his name is Meshton Mektif, and he's actually the one that shows it. But then there's another one from a hotel room at the top window that's a perfect bird's eye view focused on this fire that's taking place. And then all of a sudden there's this massive explosion as the uh, fire moved from the grain elevator to the fireworks to the ammonium nitrate and the small explosion of the fireworks then hit the ammonium nitrate now here's the thing with ammonium nitrate the ammonium nitrate uh, that that exploded there there's a lot of people it's like oh no no that's not a, that if you look at that explosion that was not the explosion of ammonium nitrate that was a, like a something much bigger that was, uh, I can tell you this, it wasn't a nuclear explosion, okay? That we know. If it was a nuclear explosion, you would have known. Could have been a, 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 a um, bunker buster type of bomb but you're you're going to need to deliver that payload b- with uh, something a little bit bigger but ammonium nitrate let's just stick with ammonium nitrate for a second okay because when people tell you if you hear conspiracy theorists or whatever try to tell you that that's not possible to have that kind of explosion with ammonium nitrate they're out of their stinking mind it is absolutely possible have you already forgotten that the largest, domestic terrorist attack ever to take place in the United States took place in Oklahoma City. This was the largest attack on American soil before 9-11 and to this day is still the largest domestic terrorism attack ever in the United States. If you don't remember, let me tell you, or if you are not aware of it, let me tell you. Maybe I got some listeners that are a little bit young. They may not know, you know, if you're in your early 20s, uh, late 20s, maybe even early 30s, you may not know about this. But in the United States, on April 19th, 1995, there was this massive attack that took place that even to this day is the largest uh, domestic terrorist attack to ever happen in america where a guy by the name of timothy mcveigh has this little small uh u-haul truck uh and it is packed with guess what ammonium nitrate and he comes in and he releases that uh, ammonium nitrate explodes it sets it off and kills 168 people and a injures about 680 other people and it destroys 16 blocks of the city. 16 blocks. 324 buildings were demolished or were destroyed. And 258 other nearby buildings had their glass shattered. 324 buildings. And that was a fraction. That was that bomb... That bomb it was ammonium nitrate. It was made of ammonium nitrate, and it was set off by Timothy McVeigh. Do you know how many tons of ammonium nitrate that was in in uh, um, uh, Oklahoma City? You're not going to hear this comparison, I don't think, anywhere else. I, I think that this might be the only place that you hear this comparison. Just to let you know, whenever you hear people saying that this was a bomb from the air, this was a bomb— I can be wrong on this, but I'm just giving you the information as I see it. I don't have a I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't need to make this into a conspiracy theory. I'm just letting you know that this is something that I understand at least a little bit. It, uh, working with military great explosions is in my background. That is in my wheelhouse. Was it my profession? No, but I was trained in it. So I am at least a little bit exposed and can speak with a little bit. Of understanding. I can can be taken to school on this, no doubt about it. I can be proven wrong on this, no doubt about that. But my experience has shown that I believe what the official story is, at least on this story. That bomb that was made by Timothy McVeigh to take out 16 blocks in Oklahoma City and over 300 buildings destroyed was 2.5 tons of ammonium nitrate. 2.5 tons. Do you know how much ammonium nitrate exploded in Beirut? 2,750 tons. (laughs) It was over 2,000 times bigger than what happened in Oklahoma City. So yeah, I believe that a greedy border agent wanted money, a just an annoying border agent probably required a lot of bureaucracy when they didn't get the bribes that they wanted. And so the ammonium nitrate was left on dock and it wasn't being handled properly properly, by the authorities, the port authorities, and now there's this massive explosion. What I want to share, though, is that the situation in Lebanon was really bad long Before the explosion. Already more than 50% of the country was living under the United Nations poverty line. More than 500,000 children were starving according to the United Nations feed the the, uh, hungry. That was before the explosion. After the explosion, the numbers are much worse. We don't know what they are yet, but we know that they're much worse. Uh, it was already it was already estimated that there was going to be more than 75 percent so three out of every four people in Lebanon are were thought to be living under the United Nations human right uh, human poverty line by the end of 2020 that was before before the explosion now after the explosion the situation will be even worse uh, somebody just wrote and said so was it. So it was on a ship. No, the explosion was not on a ship. Basically, the ship that was brought in, the ROSA, was brought in in 2013. That was six years ago. The ammonium nitrate, which was the cargo, was offloaded from the ship in 2013. And uh, it was sitting in a warehouse on the docks. And that's where the fire broke out. The fire broke out next to a grain elevator on the docks. The grain elevator was attached to fireworks, oh, Fireworks, uh, another warehouse where somebody probably had their fireworks confiscated. And those fireworks provided the explosion needed to ignite the ammonium nitrate. The ammonium nitrate was probably already a bit unstable by sitting on the port, the docks, in the warehouses on the docks in Beirut for six years. In the heat, they're probably not temperature controlled Beirut's a hot place, by the way. I mean, it is stinking hot. It's, I mean, you're talking about the desert. If you're in Europe, it's probably 50 degrees. Um, if you are American, probably 130, 140 degrees. Um, depending if you're using Celsius or Fahrenheit, it's, it is hot in Beirut. And so you already got this explosive material, it's getting old, it's breaking down, it's not as stable, it's sitting in these hot environments, and now you add the heat of a massive fire that's taking place, and the ignition of smaller explosions with fireworks. It was it was a perfect storm. In fact, what we're seeing here right now where I'm at in Sweden, what we are seeing is um, the port authorities are now going and checking and making sure that ammonium, because ammonium nitrate is a very common fertilizer. Uh, it's Farmers use it for fertilizing their, their fields. So Sweden is going through making sure that ammonium nitrate here in this country is not being stored in an unsafe way so that we don't see the same thing happen here as we saw just take place in Beirut. But in Lebanon, we had already been getting information from our Chinese partners that the situation was not safe in Lebanon. Now, what we have seen in Lebanon is an amazing... I I don't want to use the word miracle. But it is miraculous, okay? Um, what we have seen inside of Lebanon has been amazing and special. And, and, and this is the reason why um, it, working in Lebanon right now is very, is, it's a very special kind of situation. We cannot send, so when you donate money, for this effort, which you can do right now online if you go to backtojerusalem.com and you hit the donate button, there we have a humanitarian disaster relief. You can you can push that button uh, to be able to donate to this. We desperately need those donations. 100% of everything you donate to that humanitarian effort goes, right now, 100% goes to Lebanon. Uh, That you can be rest assured. But most organizations find it very difficult, at least right now, to donate in Lebanon and do work in Lebanon because if you send money from your account, whether you're in Europe, whether you're in America, whether you're in Asia, if you're in Singapore, Hong Kong, America, uh, England, and you send money, you wire transfer money to Beirut, it's going to flag your account. You can actually have a lot of challenges with banking in the future if you send money to Beirut. And uh, for some banks, it's actually not allowed. So here we have a, uh, uh, a different laws that prevent it. So how do we get money into Lebanon? The amazing thing is, is that uh, China has been doing big trade deals together with Lebanon just in the last couple of months. And it's a part of the One Belt, One Road program. If you're not familiar with the One Belt, One Road program, it's this investment where China is taking money and putting it into these Middle Eastern countries to build up the economic uh, development between, and, and, and uh, trade between the two countries. I'm going to turn on a light. It's getting dark. Uh, See if that helps at all. Um, One of the things that we are seeing is that uh, these big companies and corporations are now moving into Beirut and carrying out these big projects. So there's this highway, That is being built from Damascus uh, to Beirut. There are uh, communications that are being set in place by the Chinese. There are different trading mechanisms that are being put in place by the Chinese. And what that is doing is that is allowing Chinese companies to move in. And these Chinese companies, these expats, these businessmen, are hearing about back to Jerusalem for the very first time. And many of them said, I love what you guys are doing. I wanna be a part, is there any way we could help? And we said, yeah, there is. Can you help us transfer money using your resources from China into these other countries? And they said, yes. So this is allowing us to use the Chinese mechanism of bringing in funds. And it has been phenomenal. It has allowed money to be brought in from back to Jerusalem into Lebanon uh, without worrying about sending from banks in the West where we could be easily, easily shut down. So this is a prayer answered. There are also a lot of back to Jerusalem. There are a lot of, I was going to say back to Jerusalem missionaries. There are a lot of these one belt, one road workers That have amazing connections to banks, government officials, business entrepreneurs that have clout and pull and legitimacy in Beirut and Lebanon that are able to help Back to Jerusalem missionaries as they hand out these care packages. That is a development that is taking place just in the last couple of days, and we thank God for that. Because of that, we were literally—this was amazing—we were literally able to bring in donations from Western countries into Beirut in less than 30 hours. That—that it's—it's mean, it, not possible to send a bank transfer from Hong Kong to Beijing in less than 30 hours. In some cases. So this was an answer to prayer. So I want to thank you guys that have been praying for the efforts in Lebanon, been praying for the efforts in Beirut. So what the Chinese are doing right now. So for every dollar that you donate, what is taking place, how your money is being used at the moment is that back to Jerusalem missionaries are buying food, other things that are needed by uh, families, So sanitation items, uh, cooking items like oil, pans, um, different disinfectant items that are needed by families are being purchased and put into these care packages. And all of the care packages are different. So I can't tell you that we have these cookie cutter packages because the the packages are being delivered house to house. So unlike other uh, big operations where you have a distribution point and then people from the community come to the distribution point. So if you've ever been with us in Iraq before, for instance, in Iraq what we'll do is we'll buy a bunch of the items that we know are needed generically, we put them in a storage area, prepare these into packages, and then communities of people that are needy line up at a central distribution point and then we hand out the items that are needed. That's the easiest way of doing it. But it's not always the most personal the back to jerusalem missionaries are doing things differently and the what is making their efforts different is this they are purchasing the items that are needed and we are giving them the freedom and the the leniency to be able to purchase what they think they're the ones on the ground the back to jerusalem missionaries are the ones that are there they know the people that need They know the people that are in want. They know the people in their situation. So we tell them go and buy for each family what you know they need. And then put it into a package, write up a report on each one of those packages. And then the Back to Jerusalem missionaries are going into the homes of those that need these items, spending time with them, ministering to them praying over them, creating relationship with them. This has a much longer lasting effect than just handing out things as fast as possible willy-nilly. Here allows us to not just help the body, but to minister to the soul. There are so many people right now tonight in Lebanon that lost their loved ones, children that lost their parents, parents that lost their children, families that lost their brother, aunts, uncles, sisters and they are in a state of mourning. They are in a state of need. They're right now many of them are not able to even properly mourn because they are in a state of uh, of survival. They're hungry, without shelter, needed to provide for their families. But once those provisions are met, then there's going to be grieving. And when there's grieving, there are going to be people that are going to want to reach out. And we want to be there with the love, truth, and comfort that only Jesus can give during that time to show that there is hope, to show that there is light in the future, to show that man cannot live on bread alone but of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We want to provide the word of the Lord, the living word of the Lord to those that are suffering, to those that have lost all hope. And if you are partnering together with Back to Jerusalem, you've become a gatekeeper. If you are partnering with Back to Jerusalem and you have donated, I want to say thank you. I personally want to say thank you We are like your ambassador. The the donation that you have given, the prayers that you have prayed, we've personally seen the faces. I'm looking at many reports and pictures and text messages and having conversations about what's happening. That is a huge blessing that I apologize, but you're not going to be able to see because of security reasons. I will be posting some information very soon so that you can see what you've been supporting, so you can see who you've been praying for, so you can see the the missionaries that you're partnered together with. But we have to be very careful to make sure that we don't give information about the area that we're working in, the manner in which we're working, or the people that we're working through. We need your prayers, and we appreciate your support. I want to thank you for joining us again for another Saturday Morning Live podcast. I want to thank you for all of those that have written in from all around the world, for those of you in Brazil and America and Portugal and Canada. Thank you guys so much. I love you. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your partnership. And I pray that this podcast has been informative for you. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live. And for those of you downloading our podcast on delay (laughs) from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you. Oh, oh,